We're in a series of messages entitled Church to the Max. We're asking ourselves a couple of questions. And one of those evaluation questions for our church, and I believe that all churches ought to always be evaluating are we doing this the very best we can? Are we doing church the way Jesus wants us to do church? Because I think there's always room for improvement. I think there's always a way to do it more like Jesus. No matter how long you live on this earth and no matter how long you serve God, you can always grow. You can always develop. You can always become more effective as an individual believer and as a corporate body. So a couple of questions we're asking are, how do we reach our maximum potential as a church? And what are the qualities God is looking for in a church that would cause God to look at that church and say, they get it. Those guys get it. I can use that church. I can do great things through that church. I can lead that church to its maximum potential. What is it we have to do? What do we have to change? What do we have to rethink as it relates to church? I just mentioned a couple of things to you before I get into the message. Don't forget Summer Church. Summer Church begins June the 4th at the New Bridge location in Berkeley Junction. Somebody got that confused and called it Dysfunction Junction. That is not right. It is Berkeley Junction, right down from Delmas Hardware, the most organized hardware store in Goldsboro. Because <clears throat> only two people or three know where the stuff's at. Amen? They got the stuff. It's just a little hard to find it. Uh, but we're right down from Delmas Hardware, and um, that's where we're going to be right now. We're still at the old location. But June 4th, June 4th is our first Thursday night service. We're going to do Sunday morning, or in the bridge uh, uh, as it relates to the bridge, Saturday morning, Saturday night, on Thursday night. So if you're heading to the beach this summer, you got a, a house at the beach, you got a, a lake home or whatever, and you go down there during the summer and you've always felt guilty, no more guilt, baby. Come on Thursday night to church. If you can't make it to church, just leave your check. <laughs> Did I say that? There are inside words and outside words. Those got outside. I'm sorry. No, I'm just teasing, sort of. Um, so come on Thursday night. I mean, really, guys, take advantage of that. Come on out to the bridge on Thursday night. And then we'll have our Saturday night service at the bridge. But because we have increased seating there now, we have about uh, um, twice the seating. Actually, we have a little bit more than twice as many seats in the sanctuary of the new bridge. Um, we're going to start out with one Saturday night service. So we'll have Thursday night service and then one Saturday night service. But we're ready to go. If the church grows quickly, we're ready to go to two Saturday night services again if we need to. Okay? Tell your friends. Tell your friends about uh, church on Thursday night. Okay? Tell them they can get off work Friday and head on out. One more thing. Guys, we want to be a church that's not just about us. We want to be a church that is about blessing others. And so we are in a very uh, brief little uh, missions thrust. By the way, next Sunday is Missions Sunday. And so we want you to plan to give toward your pledge. But we're doing this little 30-day thing called Stop Hunger Now. And we're asking everybody to save up $1 a day for 30 days. And we're going to send food 
to the people of Afghanistan. I think it's pretty cool that our, that our airmen and our military men and women are go, going over there to set that country free from the, from the Taliban and, the, and those who want to bring them into bondage. And not only that, but America's also uh, sending food to feed the people and take care of them. We get to be a part of that. So guys, let's, uh, you know, for $1 a day, you can feed four people one meal. Isn't that something? And so um, save up your $30, and, and we want to just see what we can do. Our minimum goal is $2,500. We've got to raise $2,500. A big truck's going to pull in here on July 11th, and they're going to have all the food in bins, and we're going to take the food out of the bins and pack it in the individual packages and load it right back on that truck. That'll happen July 11th. If you want to be a part of something that's really going to make a difference in somebody's life, they'll never know you did it till you get to heaven. Then when you get to heaven, uh, they'll, they'll, we, we're trusting God that they're going to be there and that they'll see Jesus as the way and meet you there and say thank you for that meal when you get to heaven. Wouldn't that be the coolest thing? And so help us out with that. We'll be receiving an offering for, for Stop Hunger Now in June. Okay, so don't be confused. Next Sunday is our regular mission Sunday where you fulfill your pledges. Every penny you give next Sunday will go to foreign missions and we'll also go to Bread of Life. And we have a, we have a benevolence ministry in Whitley Church called Bread of Life. And that is uh, money that is set aside to help people who are out of a job or people who have just really, really gone through some really hard times. Uh, we're able to help them uh, uh, through that time. And so when you give to these things, we are so thankful and so are a lot of other people. Okay, let's get into the word today. Church to the max. When you ask the world what is success in a church... They, they tell you about things you can count. Often when you ask people in church what makes a church successful, even church people start talking about attendance and offerings and square feet and acres. But Jesus said the way people who don't go to church or people who are not in the body of Christ through the new birth, the way outsiders know we are true, the way they know we are the real deal is by our love for one another. Because they're pretty sure if we can't love each other, we sure aren't going to love them. Isn't that right? If we can't get along in here, if we can't love each other in here, they're not going to come because they're pretty sure we know each other, we're familiar with each other, we can't get along. So how in the world are we going to love a new person coming in? So they're not going to come. Not only are they not going to come, the Lord isn't going to send them here. What did Jesus say? John 13, 34, 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, men, all men, that means those outside the church will know that you are my church, that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, you are my kids, and I'm your daddy. They will know it when they see you loving one another. Now, if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, there's nothing more important than that, nothing more important than that. And the moment you receive Christ into your heart, the moment you recognized that you were a sinner, you were lost, and you needed Christ, and you said, Jesus, I can't save myself, 
you're the only way, you're the only truth, you're the only life, I receive you as my Savior. The moment you did that, you joined the church. Now tonight we're going to have a class called 101 Discovering Whitley Church or Discovering the Bridge, whichever church you want to go to, it doesn't matter. Some of you go to both, that's fine. Some of you go one week, one place, one, that's fine. But when you join the bridge, you're joining Whitley. When you join Whitley, you're joining the bridge. But let me tell you something. Joining our church is not going to help you spiritually. I mean in the sense that you're closer to God because you're a member of some local church somewhere. It is, it is of utmost importance that you are a member of his church through the new birth, accepting Christ into your heart. If you just want to know more about our church, you can come to the class tonight. No obligation, no expectation. Um, if, you want to, if you've been coming a while, you want to be a member, come on out because that class is required for membership. We'll bring you up on the stage. You'll show us what talent you have. No, I'm just kidding. We'll bring you up on stage and um, we will introduce you to the congregation. They will clap and welcome you and you will become a member of the church at that moment. Um, but you know what, if you're not a member and you're just kind of not into that whole membership thing, that's no problem with us. No problem with us because it's not really a biblical deal. And I don't mean to get into this too deep today, but, but just I don't want anybody here to think that if you haven't taken the class and stood up here on the stage that you're not in. You are in because you are in by the blood of the Lamb. That's, that what, that's what makes you in. Amen, amen. So, so we're, uh, we're just happy you're here, and we count you as a part of our family, whether you've done that process or not. So why does God say love's so important? We've gone over this a couple of times, but it's really important. Let's nail it one more time. The reason God says love is number one is because God's all about life change. And God knows life change happens best in an environment of love. And so he's going to send unbelievers here, and he's going to send broken believers and hurt believers and recovering believers and damaged believers and new believers. But he, he's not going to send them into a church that, is, that does not have an atmosphere of love. Again, because if we can't love each other, how are we going to nurture them? The, the second reason that God says love is at the top is because love, a byproduct of love, and it's not immediate, but it, it's pretty quick. Once there's love comes trust, and out of trust comes cooperation, and out of cooperation comes coordination of resources, and when all of that happens, we are suddenly, as a body, we're working like a well-oiled machine. We are the body of Christ. Right now, I get to be the lead pastor, the head pastor at Whitley Church, but I'm going to die one day. I hope not, you know, real soon. Millie was looking at the insurance policies the other day, so I don't know what to tell you. But um, I'm hoping to be your pastor a whole lot longer. But one day I'm going to be gone, and there will be another pastor here if the Lord doesn't come. And I believe the Lord is coming soon, don't you? But, but you know, he may not. And I may, So I just get to be here right now, and that's wonderful. I'm so honored to do that. Uh, my point is that, that the church is, does not work like a well-oiled machine because of who's standing up here. The, the church works like a well-oiled machine because we love each other, because we're obeying this commandment in John 13, 34, 35. Can I just tell you something? If a church loves each other, 
even if the preaching isn't that good and the music isn't that good and a lot of other stuff isn't that good, if they love each other, that church is going to always be exciting and vibrant to be in because people want to be loved. People are attracted to a church by a lot of things, but they will not stay in a church unless they find love. You see, when we love each other, there's no limit to what we can achieve as a church. When we love each other, there's no limit to what we can accomplish for God. And how this church loves each other will determine our potential. How this church loves each other will determine how much we can accomplish, what we can do to accomplish God's will and how he can use us to accomplish his will and do his purposes. What does this love look like? Jesus says, love each other. And then so we look at Jesus and we say, what does it look like, Lord, this love? So the way I decided to find that out was just go through the Bible and find all the verses that said one another. There's a bunch of verses in the Bible that say one another. And I categorized those verses into seven categories, seven components. And the first one we looked at was accept one another. And I'm not going to read that scripture reference thing, pop it up on the screen if they want to. Accept one another, we used Romans 15, 7. And here's what accept one another means. It means we say to everybody. Now, are you going to be a little closer to some people than you are to other people in church? Of course, that's natural. Jesus had close friends. Do you remember three of Jesus' closest friends? Martha and Mary and Lazarus. The Bible, the, did you know in the book of John there is one verse all by itself that says, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That is all that verse says. You know, that was the kind of house Jesus could come to and kick his sandals off and put his feet up on the coffee table. Y'all know those houses? Y'all know those kind of friends? And uh, Jesus could just relax. I mean, he could throw back. He, you know, Lazarus obviously had a recliner. <laughs> Jesus was welcome to sit in it anytime he came and just relax and watch TBN. Uh, and so, and <laughs> probably not. But um, you know, Jesus had people he was closer to than others. That's okay. But even though we have people we are closer to than other people, people, nobody's excluded from our circle. Amen. Nobody's excluded from our circle. How dare we have a church that a person can walk in that door? Try to make friends, but keep bouncing off little, little clicks in the church until they bounce out the back door. Have we had that happen? Yes. Are we better at that now? Yes, we are. We're better at that. Listen, don't, you, you can have your close friends, but, but don't link your arms together in a circle. Leave gaps between you so other people can get in your circle. Are y'all with me? Now, I, I, I almost mean that physically, because <laughs> sometimes I, I see little circles form, you know, and I, it's fine, it's natural, but just make sure that your head is on what? Swivel. Remember that, football guys? Keep your head on swivel. Don't make it just about you and your close friends and your family. Hey, guys, we're in a military town. There are tons of couples who come in here who have no family in this area no family and, and very few friends some of them maybe no friends just got transferred here just got put here 
and they haven't even met anybody yet. Everybody they know, it's on a purely business, you know, uh, level, and they don't know anybody, so they're looking for friendship, they're looking for love, and, and they come to church, and, and we want them to have a sense of you belong here, you belong here. That is the message we want to send. Everybody say that with me. You belong here. Amen, amen. Now, don't just say that. Come on. Let's do it. The second thing we talked about was forgive one another. And the scripture reference for that was Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. And we talked about the fact that there's way more at stake than you and your little fuss with another Christian. There's way more at stake than you win in an argument. Souls are hanging in the balance. The effectiveness of this church to reach the unchurched is hanging in the balance. Let's get over our little disagreements. We're going to bump into each other. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have stuff that's going to happen. But let's have a culture in this church of forgiveness where we give each other room to mess up. You better. Because I know you're pretty perfect, but you're going to mess up. And you're going to reap when you mess up what you sowed when somebody else messed up. And sometimes I get to feeling holy, holy, and then I mess up. And boy, I wish I'd sown a lot more mercy because I'm needing some mercy. Amen. Amen. Whatever you think you're going to need, you best be sowing it now. Because whatever seed you put in the ground, that's the crop you're going to harvest. So if you are ever thinking one day you might need some forgiveness, sow it now. Sow forgiveness so you will be able to reap it when it comes time for you. That's what the Bible says. <clears throat> and I'll quote this verse later, but in Galatians 6 and 1, it says when a person falls, you come to that person meek. Don't come to them proud. Come meek because it says lest you also be tempted down the road somewhere. You're going to want somebody to come to you how? Meek meek. The third thing we talked about was care. We talked about that last week, Galatians 6 and 2. If we're going to be a church to the max, we ought to care for each other. The point we made there was that no one person, here's where we mess up, because we feel so much responsibility as a believer. We, we feel like we got to take care of everybody. We feel like we got to just, and what ends up happening is, is God never intended for one person to meet all of the needs of another one person. The way we help each other is we do it as teams. So when you run into somebody who's in need, the first thing you need to do is inform us. Inform somebody. That blue card's a great way to inform us about people you know who are in need. But then you need to ask yourself, what team am I on? What team am I on? How do I serve people with needs? Okay, so it's very important that we learn to care for one another. Now let's talk about uh, what we've got for today, and that is number, number four. If we're going to be a church to the max, we've got to help each other grow spiritually. So we've got to teach one another. We've got to teach one another. So this is very convicting today, so I want you to listen very carefully. Romans 15, 14 says, my brothers and sisters, so who, excuse me, who is Paul talking to? Christians. Paul is talking to people who have received him. Don't forget, when Paul's writing in Romans, he's in jail when he writes this. Pretty interesting. Kind of takes on a whole new dimension when you understand he's writing this from a jail cell. 
He says, my brothers and sisters, but he's writing to people who are free. (laughs) My brothers and sisters, I am sure that you are full of goodness. And I know that you have all of the knowledge you need and that you are able to, here it is, teach each other. Teach one another. The question is, are you growing spiritually? Are you, are you growing spiritually? Are you closer to God now than you were last year this time? Do you have more intimacy with him than you did six months ago? Are you developing as a Christian? There are four possible answers to that. Yes, I hope that's what your answer is. Or if you're honest, you might say no. If you're not paying close attention, you might say, well, maybe I am. Or you might simply have to say, you know what, I just don't know if I am or not. I just don't know. Let me talk about spiritual growth. You are commanded, this is important, you are commanded to grow spiritually. It is not an option for you. God commands that you grow spiritually. He talks about your growing in knowledge. Of Certainly, uh, what he's talking about is, is not just knowledge of the Word of God, but knowledge of the God of the Word of God. Can I say something that's going to sound strange to you? The Bible isn't your God. The Bible is your God's love letter to you. You know, Millie used to write love letters to me. She's pretty awesome at it too, buddy. And whenever I was doubting our love or wondering if she still loved me or or wondering how she felt about me, I'd just dig out those love letters and just go through those love letters again, you know. And she'd make them smell good and put stuff on them, you know. They were awesome. I'm kind of just getting a little tingly feeling right now. But, um, <clears throat> whoo. Um, so, so that's what God's Word does for us. That's why we read God's Word, because it, 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 it speaks to us. And we get to know not the Word of God. It's important to know the Word of God, but the reason we know the Word of God is to know the God of the Word of God. I know people who worship their Bible. Do y'all know what I mean by that? I mean, they're just all about their Bible knowledge. Well, that's wonderful, but don't forget, you are not to be intimate with His Word. You're to be intimate with Him. I hope that makes sense to you, because sometimes I think we equate the two. Do y'all know what I mean? You can really be in a bunch of Bible studies, getting a bunch of knowledge about God, and at the same time be drying up in your spirit. Because it isn't about just knowing the Bible, it's about knowing the God of the Bible. And then we want to grow in grace, and of course that word means unmerited favor. It means unmerited love. It can also mean a gift, an ability, a special ability. We're to grow in that. Ephesians 14, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. And I didn't put this in your notes, so if you want to read these references later, jot them down. Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. Uh, 16 says, we are to grow to the measure of the full stature of Christ. That's a pretty tall order, isn't it? But remember, every command of God is also a promise of God. When God commands you to do something, along with that command to do it is the promise that he'll help you do it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I was called to be a pastor, preacher at the age of 17 years old. And I'm telling you guys, when God called me to be a preacher, pastor, I didn't know anything about the Bible. The only thing I knew was that Moses had a coat of many colors. You know, the sad thing is I looked out there right then and saw some people going, yeah, 
<clears throat> That's all I know, man. Um, but here's what God said to me. He said, Farrell Hardison, 17 years old, 30-inch waistline, full head of hair. I want you to go be a preacher. And then he said, and I'm going to go with you. I want you to go be a preacher, boy. But don't worry, I'm going with you. Mm. Every command of God is a promise of God. A promise of his presence. A promise to help you. Paul tells the Christians in Rome, in Romans 8, 29, that Christ is the end of spiritual growth. You say, well, I'm growing. What, what am I growing toward? The end is Jesus. You're just growing toward Jesus. The end is Jesus. See, we want more sanctification in our life. That means set apart from the world for service to God. And, but your life ends, your spiritual growth ends in glorification in heaven at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. That is when your growth is complete. Jesus is the end. The Bible says in Romans 8, 29, we are predestined. It's already in the DNA, brother. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what spiritual growth is. To be conformed to the image of Christ. That is repeated in 2 Corinthians 3.18 and Galatians 4.19. 2 Peter 1.4 says that we actually came to this earth to be partakers of the divine nature. The actual partakers of the nature of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? See, God, when he talks about you staying separate from sin and staying pure and staying clean, he isn't telling you to get a piece of leather and just bite down on it and say, I can do it, I can do it. He's saying, if you'll surrender to me, I will give you overcoming power. If you'll surrender to me, I will walk you through it. I don't expect you to do it on your own power. As a matter of fact, you can't. If you'll just surrender your life to me, full surrender, man, we'll walk through every storm together. We'll walk through every pit together. We'll walk through every valley together. We'll walk through every fire together. I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. You got some temptations? I'll walk with you. I was tempted too. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points just like we are. That means he knows how you feel. No matter what you go through, no matter what temptation you go through, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Isn't that awesome? Let me give you four things to remember real quickly, and then we'll move on. Four things to remember about spiritual growth. And I, that's not in your notes either, so just flip it over and write these on the back. Four things about spiritual growth every Christian needs to know. Number one, number one, number one, take personal responsibility. Will you quit blaming other people? That you're not where you ought to be with God. Y'all hear people like that? I know y'all don't do it, but that second service crowd, worse than the world for this. I'll tell you, man, if, if, if my pastor and if my Sunday school teacher, man, I'll tell you, if, if my youth pastor and, and, I, and you know, Pastor Andy, and, and, and I can understand that one, but Pastor... <laughs> Pastor, you know, if the deacons, man, if our church had that ministry like that other church, then I would be, yeah, stop it. Your position in God right now is completely up to you. 
If you want to grow and get close to God, I can't stop you. I don't care how lousy I am as a pastor and a preacher. I can't stop you from growing. If you set your mind to grow and develop, so stop blaming, stop looking around blaming. If you're spiritually anemic, look in the mirror, bro. Look in the mirror, sister. That's the person who's responsible for where you are with God, whoever's staring back at you from that mirror. You say, boy, pastor, that's pretty tough. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me. I can blame denomination, and I can blame, you know, the deacon board wouldn't let me have something I wanted, and I can blame about this, and I can blame about that. Listen, where I am with God, all I need to go do is go home, turn the light on, walk in the bathroom, look straight in the mirror. It's this guy. Number two, you not only take personal responsibility, but you got to participate in your spiritual growth. And here's the question I ask you on that one. What are you doing? Here's the question. What is your spiritual growth plan for your life? What is your spiritual growth plan? You know what I did? I went to Google on the internet and typed in spiritual growth plan. They're everywhere. They're all over the internet. Basically, you just sit down and go, here are five things or three things or seven things I'm going to do on a consistent basis that are going to cause me to grow. I'm going to develop my own plan. I'm not going to look for somebody else to make me grow. I'm going to participate in my own spiritual development. So what is your church growth strategy? Young man walked up to me in the church today. He heard this message last night at the bridge. He said, Pastor, will you help me develop that? Sure, I will. But it's basically just, you know, prayer's got to be a part of it, but you kind of need to think that through and how you're going to do that and what's most comfortable for you. And there's a whole lot of teaching I could do here. My time is gone. But it's not how long you pray, man. It's how fervently you pray. It's not how long you pray. That doesn't impress God. What impressed God is faith and fervency. That's what the Bible says. The, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much talk about uh, how am I going to get the word in me and, and, and we're going to study I'm about to do a series on the 23rd Psalm we're going to talk about meditation what meditation means we're told throughout the Bible to meditate and that's in Psalm 23 so we're going to talk about what meditation means and I'll tell you something guy, guys and gals that is a truth that if we get a hold of that and begin to practice that you're going to go places with God you've never been when you get into this meditation thing and I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about that junk. <clears throat> Number three, you got to, if you're going to grow spiritually, you got to constantly, constantly evaluate yourself and discern where you are in God. There are three people you need to ask when you're trying to decide where you are with God. You need to ask yourself that question. Where am I with God? And then you need to ask a friend you trust. Hey, man, where do you see me? Do you see me going away from God or you see me moving toward God? God, where, where do you see me in my walk with God? Somebody you love, somebody you trust. Ask your wife. She'll tell you. Ask your husband. Thirdly, you got to ask God. Now, he will tell you. God, am I making progress? How am I doing, God? He'll speak to you. The fourth thing you need to remember is uh, you got to help others grow. Can I just ask you something? Are you helping other people grow? See, that's really what this sermon's about, teaching each other. 
Who are you helping to grow? Can I just ask you some questions real quick? Who's a better Christian because they know you? Who is a better Christian? Who do you know? Who do you know that's a better Christian because they are connected to you, because they know you, because you're doing something in their life, you're pouring something into their life? Is your husband a better Christian because he married you? Is your wife a better Christian because they married you? Are your children better Christians because you're their mom, you're their dad? Who are you helping grow? How would Jesus live my life if I were not, if I, if he took my place right now? I mean, if he took my place, what would he change about the way I'm living? What would Jesus do differently? How do I become the kind of person Jesus was? In other words, how do the qualities of love, mercy, and forgiveness become my first reaction when I'm offended or unloved or hurt? How do I start reacting like Jesus? All right, let's look at the fifth category of love as we bring this in for a close. And I got to hurry. Encourage one another. But encourage one another, Hebrews 3.13 if we're going to love like Jesus wants us to love, we've got to encourage one another. But encourage one another daily, so long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I love it when you encourage me by coming up after a sermon and going, Pastor, you hit the spot today, man. You really helped me. You said some stuff today that really helped me, Pastor. Thank you so much. That's an encouragement to me. But that is not what this word means. I really thought that's what this word meant, and I was ready to preach on how we need to go by and tell one another how much, man, you're blessing me, you're awesome. I was ready to preach on that, but I want you to notice what this verse says. It says, encourage one another so that, so that, put that verse back up, guys, thank you, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know what this word encourage means? It means exhort to good works, exhort to intimacy with Jesus. It means to, to urge one another, to push one another, to, to uh, get behind and appeal to one another to be better Christians. Isn't that powerful? We are to encourage one another to grow and encourage one another. This is not, excuse me, this is not patting each other on the back. Listen, listen. This is accountability. This is accountability. What God's talking about here is accountability, and I want to warn you. Beep, 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 warning. Y'all ready? This one doesn't feel like love. When I'm going in the wrong direction and somebody walks up to me and goes, whoa, 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 where are you going? That pastor. You can't go there. Pastor, you, you're going to, Pastor, you can't treat people that way. Pastor, you can't say those things. Pastor, you're going in the wrong direction. I've got to tell you, when I'm confronted by somebody who loves me because I'm going in the wrong direction, that don't feel like love. It feels like rejection. So that's why we've got to be so careful with this one. Listen to me. Hear me today. It is love when somebody says, whoa, 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 where are you going? I want to tell you what this means. Now, this is hard, to, but y'all can take it. I'm a little worried about that second service, but y'all can handle it. Here's what this word means. It means that as believers in the body of Christ, we're all in the same family. We've got the same daddy. Our elder brother's Jesus. 
What it means is that I have the freedom and responsibility that when you begin to drift, I have the right to walk up to you and go, bro, where are you going? When I'm going in the wrong direction, you got the right to come up and go, Pastor, where are you going? That's love. This word means that your spiritual business is my. You ever heard somebody say, my spiritual life, it's my own business. You ever heard that? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. The day you gave your heart to Jesus, I became responsible for you. The day I gave my heart to Jesus, you became responsible for me. We have to hold one another accountable because we can't afford to lose anybody. We can't afford to say, well, I talked to him, man. I told him he's, he's gone. Maybe he'll get his head on straight and come on back. Mm-mm. You remember the parable of the shepherd over in Luke 15? He lost the little lamb. You remember how many he had before he lost? He had how many? A hundred. And he lost. And he left the to go after the one. That is the church. That is the church. That is how the church functions. This is hard. Listen, when you hold somebody accountable who's going in the wrong direction, it's always difficult. When you have to pick up that phone and go, Pastor, I've got to talk to you about something because I'm really concerned about you, Pastor. Or I have to pick up that phone because I've been on the end of both of those. (laughs) I've got the call that said, Pastor, I just don't think that was right, the way you dealt with that. I've got that call. And it don't feel like love. It feels like I want to go, well, let me tell you. Do you know who I am? I'm spiritual. And they go, you might be spiritual and you might have a reverend in front of your name and you might be pastor and you might be all that and you might have been to college and you might think you're something, something, something. But I'm telling you, bro, you're going in the wrong direction. Can I tell you all something? When you drift, when you drift, when you're drifting, you never drift in the right direction. If you're not anchored in Jesus and you're drifting, it's always in the wrong direction. You will never wake up one morning and go, I I think I'm a better Christian today. I haven't been reading or studying my Bible or halfway going to church and I'm not volunteering and I'm not serving and blessing other people. I got to tell you, I think I'm making progress. How do we grow? Listen, with intention. It is very intentional to grow as a Christian and to develop as a Christian. You will not drift towards spiritual maturity. The Bible says, when it describes the the Christian walk, it uses words like labor, strive. You know why it uses words like that? Because the current of this world is flowing to hell. The current is not flowing to God. It isn't flowing toward Jesus. It isn't flowing toward heaven. It's flowing away. And when you decide to serve God, at that moment that you decide to serve God, you're against the current. 
I'm not saying the Christian life is hard. I just told you at the beginning of the sermon, God's always with you, and he'll give you the power to overcome whatever comes. But you, are, you can't drift. You can't, you can't say, you know what, I, I just have made so much progress lately, I'm just going to kind of get up on this little ledge spiritually and kind of dangle my feet and swing my feet, and I'm just going to take a break. The minute you take a break from spiritual development, you start sliding back. You start going in the wrong direction. Yeah, i got to close. But remember, it's always awkward. It's always difficult. It's never easy. When I have to make that call to somebody, it's awkward. When I get that call from somebody, it's awkward. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable. But it's love. And that word encourage, when you really do a word study on it, it means beg. Beg. Can I just ask you all something? As a matter of fact, let's do this. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? Can I ask you to just let your mind imagine? Can you see somebody in your family? Can you see somebody in your sphere of friends and relationships who's going the wrong way? They're going the wrong way. They're hanging around in places that you know is going to take them the wrong way. They're in relationships that are taking them the wrong way. They've partnered up with people that are taking them the wrong way. And you know they're going the wrong way. Can I just, can I just tell you what the Bible tells you to do? The Bible tells you to beg them. The Bible tells you to beg them. It might be your child. It might be your spouse. It might be your dad, your mom. I don't know who it is. It might be somebody you know and love and work with. But the Bible says it is your responsibility as a believer to appeal to them. Urge them. And it's going to be awkward. And it's going to be uncomfortable. But it's love. If you saw a friend of yours, and they were driving their car toward a cliff, you'd do whatever you had to do to get in front of them so they wouldn't go off that cliff. You wouldn't even think about it. You wouldn't even think about it. However, when it comes to a person's spiritual life, we think that's none of our business. And we get this thing in our head where we say, well, no, Pastor, I'm not really perfect. I've got stuff I, I'm working on, too. That's not the issue. The issue is if you see somebody going off a cliff spiritually, you got to get between them and the waterfall. you got to get between them and the cliff, and you've got to urge them to stop going in that direction. This is love. Father, let this truth be in us today. Let it change us. Make us like you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have some people who will pray with you this morning. If you'd like to come up and and receive prayer. We'll have some people up here to pray for you. God bless you. Don't forget your gift and information bag if you're visiting with us today. We're happy to have you. God bless you.